Buenos dias. <laughs> yeah, our family just uh, got back from a trip to Honduras where we had a chance with four other families from Calvary Church uh, to do a short-term missions trip. And uh, we had a great experience, our five families together. Uh, we had a chance to do a pastor's conference and uh, a women's conference. We did uh, vacation Bible school for the children of the church that we were at. And uh, we also were involved in a construction project. Uh, and it was great to be there. It was great that on our trip we had some people who were uh, fluent in Spanish. That was very useful. Uh, we had some of us who were not so fluent uh, in Spanish. And uh, we tried our best, but we made a few mistakes along the way. Uh, but one thing I discovered about the Spanish language, and uh, I promised Pastor Andy, who is the missionary from Calvary that we were visiting, uh, Pastor Andy and his wife Carmen, I promised Pastor Andy that I would share this discovery with you. And so he said he was going to listen uh, in online to make sure that I shared it. But one thing I discovered about the Spanish language is I always thought the sort of Spanish equivalent of my name was the Spanish name Jaime. But when I started studying for the pastor's conference and started taking uh, verses and cutting and pasting them out of the Spanish NIV, I discovered that the book of the Bible, James, that I'm uh, named after, it's not entitled Jaime in the Spanish Bible. Its name is Santiago. <laughs> and so I decided, you know what? I'm going to stop being Jaime and I'm going to start being Santiago. <laughs> and I just want to tell you, that made all the difference in my experience in Honduras. When I introduced myself, mi nombre es Santiago. They looked at me kind of strange, but it was great. Uh, we had a wonderful time, uh, a wonderful experience. But you know, when you're in a context like that, when you're in a, another culture, and you see somebody who is fluent in uh, multiple languages, it's easy to become jealous. And I looked at Pastor Andy, who is absolutely fluent in English uh, and in Spanish, and during this pastor's conference, while I taught for six hours, he translated for six straight hours, uh, which is exhausting, but with no problem. And it, I have to admit, I looked at him and I was jealous. And I thought, well, why couldn't I be bilingual? Wouldn't that be great to be able to speak multiple languages that well? But you know, once you start down that road, there's a danger associated with that because I'm sure Pastor Andy could have looked at me and said, well, why couldn't I be part of a church like Calvary that has uh, the kind of financial resources or takes care of their pastor the way that Calvary takes care of me? It's easy to start down that road of looking at other people. For example, on the way back, on the, on the flight, uh, we went with the Dahan family and Kirk Dahan, uh, who's the father in the family, he was uh, getting on the plane and I was sitting a few rows behind them. And I watched as he got on the plane and got all settled and everything. And then I saw him put his uh, carry-on bag in the overhead compartment and shut the compartment. Now you think, well, what's so unusual about that? Well, he did all of that from his seat. <laughs> While he was still buckled in. And I thought to myself, man, I can't even see the overhead compartment when I'm sitting down. And you know, it's, it's easy to look at and go, well, why, Lord, couldn't I have that kind of height or strength? 
You know, it's easy for us to start doing this. We can ask this question all the, all the time. Why, Lord, didn't you make me more attractive? Why, Lord, haven't you given me a better job? Why, Lord, haven't I been able to have good health like other people have had good health? You can start playing this game, a game that I might entitle the why not me syndrome. You know, why, Lord, do I have to have this cramped old house when all the other people in my small group, they have nice new houses with no repair problems and they can entertain all the people they, all the people they want. We can ask the question, Lord, why did my close friend move away when other people get to have their close friends living nearby? Why not me, Lord? We can look at our own dreams and aspirations and goals for our life and say, Lord, why isn't that happening for me? I look at other people and they seem to be getting everything that they want. Why not me, Lord? Why can't I have those kinds of things? Well, we've been looking at the books of First and Second Samuel and the book of Psalms this past year, and we've been looking at what it means to have an undivided heart for God. And the question for this morning is, what does a person with an undivided heart for God, how do they handle the why not me syndrome? We all get it. It's so easy to look around. Many of us here this week may have done that multiple times already. Well, as a frequent sufferer of the why not me syndrome, I'd like to share with you this morning a verse that's been very helpful for me in my journey. When I begin to ask those questions, why not me, Lord? Why can't I have that? Why didn't you give me these things? So we're going to look at that in just a moment, but let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time in his word. Father, we've come to you with an honest question. Lord, uh, we are often asking, why not me, Lord? And if we went around the sanctuary today, there would be hundreds of different ways in which each of us could answer that question and say, Lord, if you would just give me a better paying job or more financial resources, Lord, or if you could let me have my spouse back, uh, Lord God, or if you could allow us to have children, uh, Lord, we would just be happy. And we ask ourselves, why not, Lord? God, we're here and we want you to answer. Speak to us about this issue, Lord. Help us to hear what your word has to say. And God, I pray that in your word, we would hear your voice speaking to us. We're asking these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, take a Bible and turn to Psalm 84. I said I wanted to show you a verse that was very helpful, is very helpful to me, in dealing with the all-too-frequent why-not-me syndrome. And I want to share that with you. It's from Psalm 84. It begins on page 420 in the Bibles uh, that the church provides. While you're turning, let me tell you that Psalm 84, in its historical setting is what we would call a pilgrimage psalm. What we think is going on is, is that at least three times a year for the feasts of uh, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, the Israelites were traveling to Jerusalem. And the reason they were doing that is they were getting together to celebrate God's goodness. That it's easy in the hustle and bustle of everyday life as you're working on the farm, as you're trying to take care of the sheep or whatever it may be, for the Israelites to forget God's goodness to them. And so God instituted these festivals that they were to come to Jerusalem and to stop all of their labor and all of their work and, and celebrate. Celebrate God's goodness. Celebrate God's salvation. Celebrate God's uh, uh, bountiful, plentiful goodness to them. 
Now you can imagine what this must be like that as the Israelites, the backbreaking work of farming the land, the hot, sweaty, dusty work of taking care of the sheep or whatever it may be, when it was pilgrimage time, when it was time to go to Jerusalem to celebrate God's goodness, you can see them all coming together and we imagine them speaking the words of this psalm. But the point of Psalm 84 is, is it's not just for those occasions. It comes out of those occasions. But what it's supposed to be is a reminder that the same God that we celebrate at times of festivals, like Christmas and Easter, that same God is the God who's with us every day, whose blessings are present with us in our daily experience. And so Psalm 84 is not just for the days in which we are celebrating and, 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 and enjoying the festivals of God. Psalm 84 is for every day when we're going through the ups and downs of life. Now, we're only going to focus on one verse this morning, but let me read you the psalm to give us the context. We begin in verse number one. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Now here at this point, we want to slow down a little bit because we're getting to the verse that we really want to focus on and we think about this why not me syndrome. The last three verses of this psalm really break up into two sections, and they don't break up exactly the way it's versified in the NIV or in our English Bibles. The first section says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. What the psalmist is saying is, is look, anytime you get to go and be in God's presence, that's a good day. That's a good day because the Lord is a sun and a shield. And just like the sun provides warmth and joy and a shield is protection, the psalmist is saying is that when I come into God's presence in a unique way, when I'm part of the gathered assembly, when we're celebrating the festivals, it's a good day. It's a good day when I get to go to heaven to be with God. But the next section, the section we really want to focus on, is talking about the goodness of God, not just when you're in the sacred assembly, not just when you're in his presence in a unique way, but all of the time. And this is the verse we want to look at. It begins in the second phrase in verse 11. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. 
Now, the first thing I want to say about this phrase as we think about it in terms of the why not me syndrome is that there is a qualification. And the qualification is that what God has to say in verse 11 is for those whose walk is blameless. That what he's got to say, he's got an amazing promise. A promise that can rescue you and can rescue me from the why not me syndrome. But that promise is only valid for those whose walk is blameless. Now what the psalmist means by this is not if you've got any kind of sin that you have stumbled into or have done. We all sin. Nobody is absolutely blameless. Okay? We're all sinners. What the psalmist means here is if there's any area in your life or in my life in which we have habitual, unconfessed, unrepentant sin, meaning there's an area of our life that we've tried to kick God out of, that we're living how we want to live and we could care less what God has to say about it, then what God has to say in verse 11 of Psalm 84 is not valid for us. Okay? But for most of us here this morning, that's not the case. Most of us here this morning, thank God, are walking with the Lord. We're trying our best. We still stumble. We still fall. We do things wrong. But if you are struggling against sin, then your walk is blameless. It's only if you have some sin in your life that you could care less about. You're going to do it no matter what. But if you're walking with the Lord, which most of us here this morning are, then the good news is, is that the promise we're about to look at is for us. What is that promise? The first phrase of it says, the Lord bestows favor and honor. This is a promise that God makes to all who are walking after him, all who are following after him, is that God will give to you and to me favor and honor. Now, this doesn't mean fame and popularity. God can give fame and popularity. Sometimes it's a blessing, but sometimes fame and popularity can be a very difficult road. That's not what this means. Favor and honor means influence. It means impact. It means good feelings towards the people that you work with or the people that you minister to. For example, on our trip in Honduras, uh, we took a young woman, Katie, with us. And uh, Katie was responsible for teaching our vacation Bible school. You can see her there teaching uh, the kids from Honduras. Katie uh, is fluent in Spanish. She just finished her freshman year at Taylor University. And she was given the job of being responsible for teaching the VBS. And she took it incredibly seriously. She worked really, really hard. She had all sorts of hand motions. Uh, she brought a, a little puppet that Miss Pat you'd be quite familiar with. Uh, Teo uh, made his appearance in Honduras and helped teach the lesson. Katie prayed incredibly hard. Every night, she would go back through the lesson in Spanish that she was going to teach the next morning to be prepared for it so that she could teach them uh, in Spanish without a translator. And it was absolutely amazing. She worked incredibly hard. But the thing that really stuck out to me is what happened on the last session, the last day when she was teaching the final session. I happened to be in the room, in this room, as she was finishing her teaching. When she said thank you to the kids in Spanish, the craziest thing happened. They bolted out of their seats and they mobbed her. They just hugged her and they wouldn't let her go. And the tears in her eyes and the smile on her face, it was amazing. That's favor and honor. 
It was completely unplanned. It was spontaneous. These kids realized that, that, that she had been working so hard for them and they just, wanted to, they just wanted to hold on to her and not let her go. Now, the crazy thing was is that just an hour later, uh, we had our church service. They do their church service on Saturday night. And at the church service was the under-17 Honduran national soccer team. They had come to the church for the church to pray over them, to bless them. And they were there. These are the future soccer superstars for the country of Honduras. After church was over, we all sat in one big giant circle and we had a, a snack together. But you know what was amazing? Kids paid no attention to the soccer team. They didn't run over and mob them. They didn't run over to them uh, and ask them for autographs. They didn't hug them. They simply ignored them. But Katie, the Lord had bestowed favor and honor upon her. That's what this verse means. That when we walk with the Lord, that God gives us the opportunity to have influence, to make an impact on people. And that these little Honduran children, they were a fulfillment of what the psalmist is talking about here in the first part of the verse. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Now look here at the second part. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. In Hebrew poetry, we have something called parallelism. What that means is, is that with any, any verse of the Psalms or something where you have two things that go together, they're usually connected to one another. Meaning the second half of a verse or the second phrase will either say the same thing as the first phrase in different words, sometimes it says the opposite, and sometimes it gives you a heightened form of what showed up in the first half. What we have in verse 11 is what we would call heightened parallelism which means no good thing does God withhold is a bigger, better promise than the Lord bestows favor and honor. In the first half of the verse, favor and honor is just what I told you it is. It's influence, it's impact, it's favor with the people with whom you live and with whom you work. That's a great thing, that's a good promise. But notice how it's expanded in the second half of the verse. It's gone from simply favor and honor to now every good thing. This means a, a, a spouse as a gift from God, financial blessings, health, ministry opportunities, job, career sorts of things, friend things, anything that you can think of that might be good now falls under the second part of this verse. Not only has that expanded, but so has the verb. In the first half of the verse, the Lord bestows favor and honor. In the second half of the verse, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. To not withhold something is better than to bestow it. Let me explain. Imagine that you went over to your friend's house after school and your friend's mom gave you a snack. Say she gave you an apple for a snack. She would be bestowing upon you an apple. That's a very kind thing to do. But what if your friend's mom said to you, anything that we have in the house that would be good, watermelon, blueberries, pretzels, banana bread, anything that we have in the house, it's yours. That's even better, isn't it? 
I will not stop you from having anything good in this house. That's what this means. The first half of the phrase says, the Lord bestows favor and honor. It means he's very generous to us. He gives us the gift of influence and impact and good relationships with others. But the second half of the verse, there is not a single good thing that God holds back from us. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those whose walk is blameless. You see, if we only had the first half of verse 11, we could say, yes, God has caused me to have uh, favor with the, with the people in my Bible study that I'm leading, but he's withheld from me a spouse. The second half of verse 11 stops us dead in our tracks. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those whose walk is blameless. This is why when we look around our lives, they're filled with blessings. It's because God is not stingy. God gives extravagantly, generously to us. But the problem is, Satan likes to take our mind off all the things God has done for us and put it on the thing that we think he hasn't done for us. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? God said, you can eat from any tree you want, except that one over there. Which one did Satan focus on? The one they couldn't have. The why not me syndrome. Why can't we have eat from that tree? Why can't we have those things? That's what Satan does is he wants to take our minds off all the amazing good things that God has given to us and put our attention and our focus on that thing that we haven't gotten. And we say, why not me, Lord? But there's a corollary truth that must be true from Psalm 11, from Psalm 84, 11. And it's this. If something is being withheld from us, it must not be good for us. If it's true, and it is, that the Lord does not withhold any good thing, if something is being withheld from us, then it's not for our good. Now listen, the psalmist is not dealing with the problem of evil in the world. He's not addressing the issue of suffering. He's not talking about what happens when we make foolish choices. He's not talking about the fact that, you know, sometimes it takes a long time for good things to come. He's not getting bogged down in the, in the nuances of all of the exceptions. He's looking at the central truth that we don't want to miss. No good thing does God withhold from those whose walk is blameless. The corollary being, if something is being withheld from us, then it must not be good for us at this time. This is why in Adam and Eve's case, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not good for them. The reason God was withholding it from them was not that he was stealing something from them, it's that it would have been bad for them. Or think about David, who we've been studying all year. When he wanted Bathsheba for himself, Remember what God said to him in 2 Samuel 12. The God of Israel said to David, 
I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. Now look at this. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. What God is saying to David is, look, I know what's good for you. I know what's best for you. Have I been selfish with you, David? Has I, have I withheld things from you? Look at all the good I've done for you. The reason I didn't give you Bathsheba as your wife is that would not have been good for you. It's not going to turn out good for you. Let me give you another example from Israel's history. God had promised Israel a promised land. But when they're getting ready to go to the promised land, God tells them this. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites out of your way. But listen to this. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. God withheld from Israel the fullness of the promised land when they moved in, not because he wanted to hurt them, but because it was for their good. He's saying, look, if I gave this to you, it would not be good for you. You can't possess this land. Other nations, they're bigger than you are. They could handle this land. You can't handle it all at once. And so God's withholding the land from them all at once was not an act of curse. It was an act of kindness. You see, at the center of all of it, what Psalm 84 is trying to say is God is good. Everything he gives us is good. Everything he withholds from us is for our good. God is good. Everything he gives us is good, and everything he withholds from us is for our good. You know, I used to think it would be great if I was independently wealthy. I thought, man, look at all these problems I could solve. Look at all the things that I could take of. Look at all the stress that would be gone. Do you know what I've realized? That wouldn't be a good thing for me would cause me to stop trusting in God for lots of things. It might rob me from joy in my life. I couldn't handle that kind of money. Now, some of you can. And thank God for that. And, and God's blessed you with that, and that's great. But if I'm honest, I can't. And it's actually the goodness of God to keep that from happening. That's what Psalm 84.11 is saying. This is why this verse is the solution to the why not me syndrome is when we look around and say why not me why don't I have a spouse why aren't we able to have children as easily as another couple is able to have children why can't I have a skyrocketing career why can't I have a, a, a spouse who's not sick why can't I be cured from cancer because at the end of the day the answer to the question is God is good everything he gives us is good everything he withholds from us is for our good. And every single one of us in this room is a unique individual. Some people can handle fame and it's good for them. 
Some people can't. For some people, lots of money is a blessing. For other people, lots of money would be a curse. For some people, being healed from cancer would be an absolute blessing. For others, God's got something even better in store. But at the end of the day, the answer to the question, why not me? The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. God is good. Everything he gives us is good. Everything he withholds from us is for our good. He can't do anything else. You say, but then why do I so badly want a spouse? Why is it so clear that if we just had a little bit more money, so many problems would be solved? Why do I have such a strong desire for children when I can't seem to have children? Why do I so badly want a friend and why does it seem so clear to me that if I just had a close friend, school would go so much better? Those are good questions. Can I be honest with you and say I don't know the answers to them? But this is why the last verse of the psalm says, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know why those feelings are there. I don't know where those questions come from. I don't know how the puzzle pieces all fit out in your life. I can barely figure it out in my life. But at the end of the day, we must trust that God is good. Everything he gives us is good. Everything he withholds from us is for our good. And the encouragement of Psalm 84 is in the face of the why not me syndrome. Is not even trying to figure out, oh well money might be bad for me or this might not work out this way. It's simply to fall down and trust God and say, Lord I know you're good. I know that everything you give is good and everything you withhold is for my good. And I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. We heard that this morning in, in Steph's testimony. At first it could have seemed like God calling you to France was a curse. But God doesn't do that. It takes time. It takes time to realize that everything God gives is good. Everything God withholds from us is for our good. And if you trust in him, if you trust in his unfailing love, I mean unfailing love, listen to that phrase, unfailing love. At some point, you'll get where Stephanie's gotten and realize God's doing this for our good. He wants to take you to France to bless you, not to curse you. God knows the plans that he has for us, plans to bless us and prosper us, not plans to hurt us, plans to give us a hope and a future. At the end of the day, when Satan tells you, oh yeah, you can eat all from all those trees, but you can't have that, and you say, why not me? Why can't I have that? Why can't I be more attractive? Why can't I be more intelligent? Why can't I have more money? Why can't I have more influence with people? Why can't I have a family nearby me? Why do I have to go through this health crisis? Why do I have to have this thing of suffering? The answer to all those questions is trust in the God who's good. 
Everything he gives us is good. Everything he withholds from us is for our good. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Blessed is the person who trusts in that God. Let's pray together. And I'm going to ask that while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'd like you to ask honestly, is there some area in your life today or this past week that you've been saying, why not me, Lord? And as you think quietly about that issue, I ask that you just take a moment, having heard the word of God, that no good thing does God withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And I'm asking that you would just for a moment let that verse speak into your situation. Father, we are sorry for doubting your goodness. Lord, you have poured out so many blessings in our lives. Every single one of us in this room could list countless things that you have given to us. Lord, you've not been stingy with us. You are extravagantly generous. But Lord, we confess that we believe Satan's lies that we've doubted your goodness, that we've looked at the things you've withheld from us and thought that you were withholding good from us. Lord, that in our heart of hearts we thought, if I just had a spouse, if I could just have children, if I could have my loved one back from the dead, if I could have more money, if I could have a better career, if I could get a new house, then I would be happy. Lord, these are all statements that degrade your goodness. God, forgive us. We have forgotten how good you are to us. Lord, I thank you, though it's hard, for withholding some things from us. Lord, I thank you that we, like Israel, were too small to handle certain things. And God, you are gracious and kind to us that way. And Lord, please, please, don't allow our why not me syndrome to discourage you into giving us stuff that wouldn't be good for us. God, we acknowledge that you know best. Lord, we don't always understand. We don't know why. We don't have all the reasons. We can't answer all the questions. But God, we simply come before you now and we say we're sorry. We're sorry for doubting your goodness to us. Open our eyes, Lord. Help us to see the incredible blessings in our lives, Lord. Give us insight to understand that you are good. And that everything, everything you do for us, everything in our lives works together for good. God, who else is like you? We praise you for that. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. 
In Christ's name I pray. Amen.